Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, or should I say good afternoon, and uh, this is the special edition of the Foyersteins Fire American Soccer Show as the United States falls to Germany by a final of three goals to one here on the postgame show, and we got ourselves uh, a pretty good game in the opening half. I mean, basically, a tale of two halves. And all you can say is, is this, is that this USA team, once again, off to an amazing opening 45, and it comes down to not just not having certain players due to injury, but at the same time, it also comes down to this not making adjustments at the right time, not making the proper adjustments. It's it's not just substitutions, ladies and gentlemen. It's not just substitutions, okay? I'm trying to go out there in the second half after an amazing opening 45 and just completely – being outdone and outrun by Germany. Joining me to break down this big international friendly, once again, former Fox Soccer Channel host, and he's been, of course, a part of uh, English language broadcasts on Copa Libertadores and now uh, some Liga MX matches and also MLS season pass matches. Christian Miles joins me uh, today, and Christian... What did you make of today's game for the United States against the Germans? Um, you know, I thought it was a flying start from the U.S. Liked what I saw out of them in terms of attacking at pace, getting in behind, limiting the chances for Germany. Uh, the pendulum seemed to swing towards the end of the first half as Germany started to settle in. And then the U.S. Uh, making a change at halftime, bringing in uh, De La Torre for Reina, that was kind of the harbinger of, and a, the symbol of, of the, the shift in the game in the second half. The USA offered nothing after halftime. It was listless, uneventful. It was designed to limit space, which it did not do, and it kind of took away what the U.S. did best was, you know, attacking, going right down the throat of Germany and, and bringing in way it was making some great runs and allowing space for a prolific. When, when the U.S., the, just be honest, that's when they are at their best, attacking in the open field at pace in, in transition moments. And, and unfortunately, that was eliminated. So uh, brilliant first half, really pleasing on the eye for the neutral. Um, the, the first 35 minutes, they were the best team out there, and Germany couldn't hold a candle to them. But, you know, this is Germany, and uh, their depth of talent shown, the way they grew into the game shown. They didn't get flustered. Um, so all kudos to them. And, and a tip of the hat to Julian Nagelsmann, who seemed to get it right in the end. Absolutely. Um, Look, I understand why 
uh, Gio Reyna had to be subbed out. Obviously, he's coming back from injury, playing for Borussia Dortmund. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, it would have been nice for him to play the full 90 or at least maybe 60 minutes, 75 minutes, and then take him out. But I do understand why he was subbed out. And once again, unfortunately, Luca De La Torre is not at the level of where Gio Reyna is, I guess you can say, on the quality level, because he does play in the Bundesliga, Gio Reyna. But still, though, um, outside of that, I thought Nagelsmann made the proper adjustments before the second half started. And once again, I, I think Greg Berhalter did not make any adjustments. It's not just making the subs, Christian. I just think he didn't make the necessary adjustments to be ready for what was coming in the second half. I think it's fair to say, you know, throughout the dominance of that first, you know, half an hour, 35 minutes from the U.S., there were, you know, moments of fragility when Germany was able to play in the half space and kind of play in and around the penalty area with Musiala and Zane being isolated in great 1v1 situations. So that element always was presenting itself, and there was freedom in the center of the park for the Germans. So you understand and the logic why uh, Berhalter made that switch. But by making that switch, you know, bringing on a player of De La Torre's ilk where he's going to settle in and try and stabilize the midfield, you, you eliminate another attacking option when the U.S., yes, they were exposed at moments going forward like that, but when you bring in that threat, when you bring in a player like De La Torre, you eliminate an attacking threat. I really thought it just did really kind of shot, the, shot themselves in the foot in that regard. And um, there wasn't an answer. And when it was going flat, you know, they made the triple switch at one point, didn't have the desired effect. Um, and this really was listless and a disappointing, a really disappointing end to this one after what was such a great start. Absolutely. Um, I think we have to go to Christian Pulisic. He has been <laughs> rejuvenated, uh, moving from Chelsea to AC Milan in Italy, and he's already made dividends already there for the red and black uh, in Milan. And just seeing him attacking so much better in that opening half, along with Wea and Balogun um, on the wings, just really, I mean, I don't think we've seen him play this well on the national team. I mean, he's had his moments, but he's never been like full speed ahead the way he has been since going to Italy. No, it's great. I mean, he's, he's rejuvenated. And, and most importantly, he's fit. And he's getting a good run of games in a position and a system that suits him. I mean, I think this is what's his sixth goal in 13 games for club and country since September. And, and four of those coming in, in Serie A for AC Milan, who's recently on very good form. So, yeah, he's enjoying it. The way this game was set up in the first half, and Christian Pulisic is wonderful. Uh, with space, to run into space and running at defenders. Um, it's when you present a low block uh, and, and people sit off of him where he struggles a little bit. And, and frankly, so does this U.S. team. But, um, yeah, he, you can't say enough about his good play and, and him reaching his potential. It's nice to see that. Um, he's in the right place and, and performing at, at the level that he needs to perform at. Oh, very true. Absolutely. And Matt Turner, 
obviously the goals are not his fault. But outside of that, I thought he had a strong match. I really did. I mean, I mean, <laughs> how many point-blank saves did he have to make to keep that ball out of the net before the dam broke in front of him, unfortunately? But still, though, I thought Matt Turner was on his game. I thought he was really strong um, in goal. And even though he was beaten early on, but he was saved by the post, still, I, I thought Matt Turner had an excellent match today. Uh, yeah, he is. You did it, and he did have a good match, and he made some quality saves, uh, and you know, stymied uh, Germany at times, or it could have been a little bit worse. But the, the defensive miscomings, uh, misgivings for this U.S. team are, are nowhere lie at the feet of the goalkeeper. It was just you know an overall team shape, and and they got behind that midfield line. There was you know that half space to play in at the top of the area, and you thought De La Torre was at fault on that goal by Germany that saw them. Managed to get in behind on with that second goal uh, from full Krug, pulling out the likes of Richards, who had to take uh, the space by the out of position, De La Torre, and therefore a wonderful piece of improvisation from Gulsons to tap it through. And then the giveaway from Scali from the outset on the third goal for Germany, I thought was unforgivable. Uh, it, it allowed them to, to start the sequence and build, and, and there's no way when you're on your end line to tap it to the opposition like that. I don't understand what was going on. Um, and, and a lot of times, you know, uh, when we're talking about the highlights for this U.S. at the back, you know, I thought Des was good in 1v1 situations against Zane at times, uh, but that was in, in fleeting moments. So, you know, defensive breakdowns, uh, the shape at times, the lack of – they actually called it a lack of a, a compactness. Uh, Greg Berhalter characterized the first half as such, and that's why he went with De La Torre to kind of consolidate things in the middle. But it's still, there's some fragility and fissures and cracks back there for everyone to see. No, absolutely. And I think we also have to, you know, make this observation as well. Um, Tyler Adams currently out due to injury over at Mm. Bournemouth. I understand it's a hamstring injury. I I mean, I could be wrong, but I know it's a leg injury. And he's going to be out for a good while, good uh, four to five months, maybe even a little more longer than that. You're missing that type of midfielder that can probably extinguish those types of attacks that are going to help the back line preventing those goals. Even the equalizer by Germany before halftime came, I would think, you know, some would say, you know, well, you know, is Tyler Adams' position uh, in jeopardy on the national team? I personally say no, but I thought his, maybe his starting role would be in, in trouble, but the truth is it's not. This match showed that against a top-quality team like Germany is, what the Netherlands were in the round of 16 match in the World Cup, any top-quality side from Europe or Africa or South America – Tyler Adams is definitely needed on this national team from here on out. Yeah, he's he's the man with the hat on the rudder. I think he's really the only natural six that the U.S. have. When I think of Musa and I think of you know, McKenney, I think of them as you know more box to box players. So having you know Adams back there to stabilize things and and tidy up and mop up in front of that back four is something that's really missed and was exposed today throughout this game from Germany. Uh, Good one making those runs into the box. What a player he is. Um, yeah, his presence is sorely missed, but let's be honest, this is nothing new from Tyler Adams, who's struggled with injuries throughout his young career, and the U.S. are going to have to find an answer 
um, should he not be fit, which based upon the past is going to be more times than not. Very true. Very true. And of course, right now, I mean, you know, you could, you got to find someone who can, you know, fill in for Tyler when he's out due to injury or when he's not called into the national team. So, I mean, who do we have right now playing either in MLS or in Europe that can be our natural six when Tyler Adams is not available? I mean, who could be that player there right there, Christian? I, you know, that, that your guess is as good as mine at this point. Uh, I haven't really followed the, the U.S. players uh, in that regard to, to give you a good quality answer here. Um, but surely it's hard to find a player, you know, to replicate the class of Tyler Adams because now we're saying just how important he is to this team. And, you know, you can throw whatever cliche or, or metaphor you want at it. He is the glue and that kind of knits the lines together. It's hard to find those guys. And I've, I've said it time and time again, those kind of players are the most important for your players. And they not only, you know, stabilize your, your back four, but they're also, you know, the glue of the spine, you know, they knit the, the, the back line and all the way to the front line and, um, you know, no pure evidence of, of a player that struggled more throughout his absence than, than the likes of Balogun, whose name I don't even remember being called today, except for when he was subbed off, so, which is a real disappointment for the youngster. Because um, I'm expecting it's a wonderful chance for him to shine against a German team that has quality throughout. And I thought he was just really a non-factor and, and kind of missing that stability of the player, as you so you know astutely mentioned that you know Adams provides. He provides that stability and. And players in front of him profit from that. And without that, you saw them really struggle. Um, wide areas were the, the strengths today in the first half, from Pulisic, Reyna even, and, and specifically Wea. Um, but other than that, there wasn't much to the middle. Here is the uh, damning evidence right now against Greg Berhalter, and this is coming from, of course, Hercules Gomez of ESPN. U.S. men's mm-hmm. national team against top 20 teams. In 13 games, Greg Berhalter has four wins, four draws, five losses, a goal differential of minus two, and three of the four wins are against our rivals in Mexico. Um, it, that's damning. That's very damning. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I love, I love it when the U.S. beats Mexico, but I mean, are we trying to dominate CONCACAF? Are we trying to dominate our own confederation as well as the rest of the world? That's the big question here, Christian. Well, the, the goal is to, to get better and improve. And, you know, obviously you're going to can only you know, beat the play, the teams that are in front of you. And, you know, just by proximity and being in the region, obviously Mexico is going to be that. But that's a, it's a, both a damning and feather in the cap. You know, when you're, you're beating your, your next-door neighbors who've had such a legendary rivalry with, that's a great sign. But, you know, when you are also, you know, get outside of that region and then you, you are outside of your comfort zone, so to speak, and the U.S. is looking mildly uncomfortable despite all of this talk of this young generation of talent being, you know, heading into what is supposed to be their World Cup, their peak years. And you look at Pulisic, you look at McKinney, you look at Busa, and you look at Adams, um, and you get him throw Dest into the mix in that. Um, so, yeah, it, it, he's not wrong. I, I, I you know, I, would, I side with Hercules Gomez on this because he's just throwing out facts, and that, that is the fact. The U.S. showed a, a lack of nous, I, I believe, um, in situations where they come across opposition like this, where 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 do you do in Plan B? Where are your adjustments? Yes, credit Greg, Greg Berhalter for getting it right from the get go, and you know going with a very aggressive lineup today. I thought 
but what happens after that when plan A starts to fail and the opposition makes its adjustments? How are you reacting? How are you changing the game? And how are you getting back on top of the opponent? There's been no answer for the U.S. No, there is no exactly. Unfortunately, this is the same old song. Um, you know, it's either you get it right to start the match, and then you can't make the proper adjustments or subs to keep that strength going, or it's a horrible opening half. Then you make the adjustments to right the ship, and then you have an excellent second half. And this is the situation once again where. Um, uh, you get worried with a manager like Greg Berhalter. Look, friendly or not, competitive match or not, these are the problems that he has right now, and it's always going to give you uh, worries about what's going on. Give credit to Julian Nagelsmann for not only seeing what he saw in the opening 45. And of course, that goal to level the match at one was their lifeline for Germany. But he made adjustments at halftime. He made adjustments. He made sure that not only uh, were they attacking up front by putting probably, it looked like they had four, four strikers up front and two midfielders in the middle. And then the, the regular defenders, you know, helping out Ter Stegen, uh, and then they just went out and did a job where, you know, it's 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 the same old Germany all over again. And we all know what their problems have been since getting three and out in the World Cup in Qatar last year up to this point where their qualifications for the European Cup are they're having a, a big pit stop or a big, uh, you know, snag. And maybe this trip here could be the turning point for the Germans. It could be. I mean, you know, they've not just Qatar, but you look back to Russia when they were knocked out and you know, probably the worst World Cup display by any German national team in history. So um, the standard is that high for them. So there was a lot made of why is Germany coming over here to play this game in the middle of the European season and really stressing all of their European-based players uh, into a transatlantic trip. Uh, but that's the nature of the beast. And, and you know, um, you, Nagelsmann came out of the Michael's curve for this. He needed this win. He was under immense pressure, Julian Nagelsmann, because I mean, you look at the way, the trajectory of his career, it's definitely gone downhill um, you know, since he um, emerged from his, his bright days at, at Leipzig and then you know, or at Hoffenheim, then Leipzig and then the downturn at mid-Bayern. So he needed this win. He needed to get things off on the front foot, um, and he did. It didn't look good to start with. Um, it looked listless. Um, you know, the United States looked much more athletic, but they hung in, they kept their composure, adjusted, um, and got a foothold of the game. And as, as you would expect a, a team of uh, Germans to do, I, I still raise my eyebrows on his selection of Max Hummels. Um, for me, and when we saw an element where he was dispossessed, you know, trying to play out on top of his own six-yard box. And that's kind of been the modus operandi, the, you know, the knock against Hummels throughout his career, taking these unnecessary risks and being caught in possession. Uh, but he's sticking with him. Homeless is in form, uh, you know, at the club level for Dortmund right now. But, um, yeah, it, it, it's Germany. I mean, let's be honest. This is a better team than, than the United States. Flat out, they have better players. They have a better tradition. So, you know, the U.S. is it's punching above its weight when it's, you know, leading Germany and outplaying them for 30 minutes and a, and a half an hour, even if it is on home soil. Exactly. And what really 
impresses me about Germany, especially now under Nagelsmann, is how they perform in tight spaces or even mm. – even that the spaces are still a little bit bigger than normal. I mean, on the offensive end, how they're able to pass the ball around in tight spaces and, and find that open space to get those goals. And at the same time, uh, when they're creating those tight spaces against the U.S., where you're thinking, okay, now this is where you've got to find a way to put the ball in the back of the net, and they just prevented them from even taking a shot on frame. It's just amazing the type of football the Germans have played, you know, for so many years, no matter what type of players they've had, um, you know, with speed, with power, with precision, uh, you know, uh, just just thinking with the ball and even thinking without the ball, how they are able to dominate no matter what. Yeah, it's it's almost you know 3.0 Germany when they they had their Das reboot. At the beginning of the you know, mid 2000s, and went on that great run. Started at the 06 World Cup, culminated with winning the World Cup in Brazil in 2014, and now this is the next generation. What are we going to see out of this modern group of players? And there's such a rich pipeline of talent. I think you know Musiala is a superb player. I think he's the best player in Germany right now. Zane is starting to show his true wares as well. Um, Jonathan Taw is a promising player. I thought. It's Playing a little out of position at right fullback seems to be more of a natural um, central defender, as we saw earlier in his club career at uh, Bayer Leverkusen. Um, Rudiger is, is Rudiger, who's going to give you moments of brilliance and also give you moments of trepidation. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's an interesting – what is the next style and evolution of German football? And I think that's up to, you know, Julian Nagelsmann to write that script. He's been given the pen. Now it's up to him in place of Hansi Flick to see where it goes next. Exactly. So once again, uh, the Germans have uh, come over to the U.S. and they put on a very good performance in the second half, even though they got some help in the opening half uh, late of it. Uh, Once again, another strong start for the U.S., but they fizzled out at half and uh, just couldn't muster anything. Um, Okay, the question is this now. And look – we try not to harass or point the fingers at certain players on the men's national team because obviously we all want them to do well. But as And I think I was guilty the last time I pointed my finger at Tim Ream. I mean, like I said, I, I love Tim Ream. He's a great guy. Personally, I think he's a great guy. I mean, I remember him being, uh, you know, the big rookie central defender at the New York Red Bulls before he moved to mm-hmm. uh, England. And uh, obviously, he's Mr. Fulham right now uh, with them over in London at Craven Cottage. But 36 years old, um, I thought he had a better first half against the Germans than the entire game against Uzbekistan and St. Louis, even though they did win the match regardless. I mean, I guess the question is this. Is it time for, to say for Tim Ream, is it time for him to say uh, it's over? For me, no. I think he brings the most maturity and best reading of the game for any player in that back four that we saw today. Um, I thought what we saw today was inexperience in decision-making and a lack of it, you know, whether it be Richards, you know, in, in higher in midfield, whether it be De La Torre or, you know, Scali at times. I don't think really in terms of individual fault, you can point the finger at Tim Ream is, you know, kind of having a late renaissance on his career. And I think if he's in this kind of form – 
he, he should be selected and, and he should be in the first 11. He's, you know, he's proven his worth. Uh, he's been a stabilizing force as well for these youngsters. And I think with the youth of this team, that's the kind of player that you want in there. You know, every, every young team needs an old head. And I think he is that old head for us right now because there is a lot of youth out there right now, especially on that back line that needs that type of experience and understanding because um, so much of it of that is built upon, you know, partnerships and maturity and it's having a, a reading of the game that I think Tim Ring possesses right now. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think so. I, I think you're right about that. I mean, hopefully he'll continue on and, uh, we'll see what happens in the next match, which will be on Tuesday night against uh, Ghana uh, over in Nashville at Geodis' Park. And that will be at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 5.30 p.m. Pacific uh, on TNT. But back to this one, once again, the United States falls to Germany by a final of three goals to one. Uh, once again, you know, this is the biggest head-scratcher of them all, unfortunately, uh, Christian. It's like I said – it, it all depends on how they're going to start and then what happens at halftime because, once again, it's just been a really, a really hard thing to see this U.S. team where you think they're going to look like they're going to break out. They're actually going to go on a big run. They're, they're looking pretty fantastic, and then all of a sudden – they just find a way to stop themselves, and it's just getting—it's just getting really, really more hard to see them against a, a, a top twenty ranked side that's able to figure it out quicker than they do. Yeah, and let, you know, I'm not a Burhalter detractor, nor am I a proponent. But when this happens, you have to look at the manager and. With the move at halftime, that was the only move that he made was bringing on De La Torre. For me, not the correct move, if I'm just being frank. I, I thought that, as I said before, symbolic of, of the shift of thought and goal of the United States. And it really took them out of their best element. And, and not only that, what moves do you make forward after that? Because we're looking, you know, from halftime to the, to the 62nd minute when he made the three switches of Aarons and Pepe and Cameron Carter Vickers. Um, coming on, um, which offered little. Uh, I thought Weah really struggled to, to find the game after the first 35 minutes when he was electric. He had torching verts down that right-hand side in open space. And, um, you know, not to say that you want the U.S. to sit back and absorb the pressure because, you know, you give a team like Germany that kind of time and space on the ball, they're going to find ways to, 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 to hurt you and, and beat you. But when things did open up, that's when we were the best uh, on the front foot. And when the U.S., is able to utilize their attributes to, to, the, to their uh, best uh, effect. And we got away from that, unfortunately. And you have to point your finger at the manager in that regard. You know, it, with the plot, it's, you know, come the criticisms. And in this case, it is. And I really thought, you know, we didn't see any tactical shift or change of thought just to negate a Germany side that had that. They came out with purpose. I mean, that, that first couple of minutes, we're lucky we weren't down by two goals, you know, by the 49th minute. And they came just roaring out of the gates with the attempt from Gunnawan and then Fulkrug, you know, forcing the save from, from Turner. So, um, that, yeah, that's, that's a big point. And, and it, it needs to be asked of Greg Berhalter. And I certainly hope – I certainly expect it to be addressed during the – what's probably happening right now during the uh, post-match press conference. 
Probably it is, and uh, you know, hopefully we'll uh, find out the thoughts of Greg Berhalter as uh, you know later in the day when it gets when it comes out, and hopefully we'll get some good answers from him. But you know, once again, uh, you're facing a quality team in Germany, a three or four time World Cup champion. Obviously, they've they've done the the damage once again, and. Uh, all you can do is just go out there and uh, try your best to take them to take them out if you can. And um, where do you think, outside of the adjustments and the, the lack of adjustments and 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 some of the substitutions being made, or I guess maybe more tactical awareness, do you see the problems with that with this match today for the U.S. Um. It's, even when we were at our best in that first half, which is a fantastic first half, by the way, just from a purely neutral perspective, but there were problems addressing the threat, uh, the organization of this team, um, to the fact that death is, you know, not in line, which is, and, and allowing uh, Fulcrug to get in behind it, and they played that one, two through, and then get that second goal, and when we see Scali up back there, there's um, there's a disorganization and there's the, the lines between midfield and defense are not solid enough right now and looking extremely uncomfortable and that also the, the individual decision making um, that's being made out there. Uh, the team is, in, it's not compact, they're not shifting as a unit and we're seeing it out there. It's all over the place at times and how many, I mean, I thought that Germany could have had three or four more. This should for me it should have been six one. You know, I look at it and the times, the touches, um, you know, some faulty finishing because this is a German side. You know, we're talking about a three one loss here. They they were not at full throttle. They did not have a great game by any stretch. I mean, Fulkrug missed chances. Turner made some good saves. It could have been a lot worse. So I think some of the defensive adjustments need to be made for a team that you know is lacking cohesion um, at the back. And when I say at the back, that's not just your back four and not your, you know, Matt Turner back there, whoever your keeper is, you know, it goes all the way from the front to the back. And, and especially in that low block of six or, or even seven, if you want to play with three. Um, and to me, it's just not on the same page. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, that's the problem right there. That's the problem. Yeah. And, uh, well, there's, all, there's another big problem here, though, uh, Danny, is, you know, where is Balogun in this whole scheme of things? And the lack of threat from him, he did not get on the ball enough, not played through enough, not dangerous enough, no supply line. That is a massive problem, too, as well. I mean, the United States have to figure that out. Other than, you know, having those pace in wide areas and hitting on the break with, with Pulisic and, and Wea and Reyna, there, there wasn't much. It was rather one-dimensional, and that's where the U.S. have to grow. They have to become multidimensional and able to play through opponents as well as around them, and I don't see that right now. And despite all of this uh, you know, wonderful young generation of players that are so technical and gifted, I'm not seeing it, and I sure as heck didn't see it today. I agree. And he's been, you know, as well – arguing about, you know, who he likes to be comfortable with out on the pitch. He liked, you know, I know he likes to play with Reyna. Obviously, Reyna passed him hmm. uh, that beautiful ball in the Nations League final against Canada that gave uh, the U.S. the 2-0 uh, victory. I mean, I mean, is it is it a problem where he's just not connecting enough with the rest of his pl- with the rest of the team, Balogun? Or is it just well, maybe he's... You know, he's a player, I think, you know, 
and nine that thrives on service, and he's just not – he didn't get any today. I mean, he didn't have one chance today. I can't remember his name being called, as I mentioned. I don't recall a shot on goal from him. I don't recall him being dangerous. Um, you know, he's not one of those players that's going to drop off and show and find the game. He needs a supply line, and he needs the support. He's not getting it. And that's a question that, you know, falls on the shoulders of, of, of a central midfield, you know, and, and, and players that he's, you know, relying upon to get in that service from wide areas as well. And the way the U.S. plays, and they want to keep it down the floor and, and you know, narrow their approach at times. I mean, that attacking third, uh, it just hasn't worked for Balogun. He needs more of a supply line. He needs more support to create those chances for him to flourish. Then the big question is this, then. Let's just say Tyler Adams does come back from injury. Let's just say he's not even injured. He's, he's in the starting 11. Where, who do you take out of this starting 11 to help Balogun get service from? I think what you have to do is, uh, you know, that's, that's a very good question. I mean, you've got a player like Reyna who needs to be on the pitch. Way as threat is wonderful with pace on the right-hand side. Polisic, obviously, his first name on the team sheet. And Balogun is really our, between he and Pepe, our only true number nines that you can service with. But, you know, when we, we, we talked earlier that there's no number six with the exception of the aforementioned Tyler Adams. And, you know, that means there's an odd man out. In, in this front block of six. Um, and it might be Musa um, that might have to lose out from that. And, you know, you play with a, with a six like Adams who sits in front of that back four, and then you can form that triangle with McKinney a little higher, able to drop off and also provide a little defensive support, but allowing Gio Reyna to, to kind of almost play as a number 10 underneath because that's where he's going to play anyway. Um, it's where he's most comfortable. He started on the right today, but he drifts underneath. And, you know, especially with a player like Wea, Coming up from behind him, he's going to drift central and tuck in and allow Wea to, you know, run rampant and get shock on his boots. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, Musa might have to be that one out or, or McKinney for me because, of, you know, if you want attacking football and to create those chances and to rectify, you know, more support and provide more supply for a Balogun, I think it, you have to take risks if you want that. And that's, I think, where it would have to be done. Because I, I don't see McKinney coming out. You don't see Adams coming out, and, and Musa, you know, more times than not in that, you know, MMA is, and in throwing Reina, you might have to be the one sacrificed. If that if that was my call, yes, I think that might be it. Um, you know, it's, I, even playing with two sixes with with De La Torre too, it, it, it didn't provide much stability as well. But when you bring in Adams, the player of his quality, it's clearly a step up. So, those are situations and uh, problems that Greg Berhalter is is paid. To figure out, he's going to have to figure out and find a way to get this group to play together. But make no mistake, there will be one man left out, and a lot of people are going to moan and complain that shouldn't be left out. And that's the way it is in international football. It's the way it is. Look at this Germany team. I mean, you go down the line of their substitutes. You know, it's a who's who of world class talent of Havertz, Goretzka, Brandt, Müller. So there are going to be players left out, players of quality, and it's all about getting your team to play the right way. And I just don't see that right now from the U.S., but fortunately there's plenty of time to, you know, rectify matters. But it has to get on a track. They have to develop a style and a pattern of play because we're just not seeing those patterns of play outside of of transition moments. Mm -hmm. Now let me throw this at you. Let's just say for the (laughs) heck of it, we changed up the formation. 
and let's just say if you change up the formation, you can keep Gio Reyna in the center of the park. What you're going to do is, though, you have maybe Balogun and Pulisic up top, and then you push way back into the midfield and make it a 3-5-2. Hmm. Would you make that change? Would you attempt? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think this team is built to play. Uh, you know, with, we've got talented wide players, um, and you know, we have such a you know a proliferate of, of midfielders, attacking midfielders as well. But yeah, I think that's the way to go. And, and you want to create overloads. Um, get, you know, I think Dest is, is built to play at three at the back. I mean, he comes from a Dutch system that does play at the back and plays in that manner. Um, you know, you could even look to Dewan Jones, who can play that role as a wing back as well, and, and covers so much ground. So, yeah, I think it's especially now is the time to do that too, Dan. And that's a great point that you make. It is this is the time. International friendlies against quality opponents in Ghana, in Germany. I would love to see Greg Berhalter come out and try it, give it a go, and see what it does. And if it doesn't work, then come and make your adjustments and, and, and go and, and find another manner in which you can play. But yeah, I think that's a, a great way to approach it and um, worth a considerable amount of thought. I mean, to me, and I agree with you because, you know, this 4-3-3, even the 4-4-2, maybe you have a little more leeway with the 4-4-2, but with the 4-3-3 and the way that Burhalter and U.S. Soccer are getting these dual international players at the same time, some of our American players playing in Europe and, and the way that things are forming. I mean, to me, it looks like the 4-3-3 is hampering the talent that they have right now. So obviously, you know, I would go with a 3-5-2, maybe even a 4-2-3-1 uh, if they want to go there. But you know, with the pressing, if you want to keep going with the pressing, but definitely with the talent that they have, I think, you know, Greg Berhals is going to have to find a way to get all these guys to be on the pitch at the same time and looking more dangerous than normal than what we've seen so far. Yeah, I think he, that's another interesting point. When you talk about a press and you've got a 3-5-2, you, know, you need a press from that. And that will require more defensive commitment from the players. Didn't see a lot of that today. Uh, we didn't see a lot of presses, you know, a mid-press, three-quarter press at times. It, you know, nothing to really put the pressure at the back on the Germans to, uh, you know, more times than not, we're able to pass their way through this midfield, um, you know. So, yeah, I think that that is going to be a shift in thought as well in, from this U.S. team. If they do decide to go to play with, you know, three central defenders and, you know, play with wing backs, and is it going to be Scally? Is it going to be Death? Is it going to be Dewan Jones playing that system? Um, that remains to be seen. I think Miles Robinson would be a good fit for that, and you know, it certainly is worthy of a role to uh, consider if they do go with three. Uh, so I would like to see it, and, and uh, you know, you would be able to play with you know more uh, players that suit the strengths and attributes of this group of players. I think. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, hopefully uh, he'll be listening to this show and taking our advice. We'll have to wait and see what goes on. Um, Let's hope not. Other Let's than hope that, not. Yeah. <laughs> are you saying we could do a better job than Greg? No, I'm saying let's hope not. He's not listening to us. That's my point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. uh, that's true, too. I hope not either. He'll probably be feeling more embarrassed than normal. Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, 
obviously, uh, the next match that the U.S. men's national team will be playing, once again, will be this Tuesday over at Jodas Park in Nashville, Tennessee. And I guess the big question is this. Uh, obviously, Ghana has had their number uh, in World Cups oh the last oh couple of times, with the exception of Brazil, where they finally beat Ghana 2-1 in that one. But in, in your opinion, what do you think the U.S. needs to do as we get ready for Tuesday night's action? Um, well, I think it's time to experiment. And with players, to get a look at some other players and systems and formations and, and see who can do a job and maybe give a chance for a player like, you know, Miles Joseph or a Dewan Jones to, to play bigger roles and give Pepe a run out at the nine and see how he can uh, assert his qualities with a different type of tactical setup. I think this is the time to do that. It's, um, even Cameron Carter-Vickers. So I'm expecting a heavy rotation when you play against Ghana, not having watched a a lot of uh, Ghanaian football as of late and kept up with their team. You know, it's a team that's athletic. They, um, you know, can and withstand challenges. They produce a great run of players. They've had, you know, a lot of success against us in the past, as you mentioned, going all the way back to, you know, even 2006, 2002. Um, they're going to be a tough, tough team. They're physical. Um, you know, they get stuck at a challenge and, and, and always have, and always put forth a good product. It's, I'm always one of the better African teams, Uh, but it's just friendly, and it's a time to problem solve and and test schemes uh, for the U.S., and I think that's something that, you know, especially now, the U.S. has more time to do that. That's one of the positives without having to qualify, so uh, that's something I would like to see. I'm expecting Greg to do, especially after being relatively stagnant in terms of of shifts and and changes in, in the second half of this game against Germany. Now let's see what these guys can bring. Let's see if they, what they can offer and, and give them a chance. Do you think that we are, ha- we are seeing right now between Ricardo Pepe and Florian Balogun a battle for the number nine position right now for the U.S.? Absolutely. I think, every, I think it's clear as day right now. And the number nine has been up for grabs for quite some time, and we haven't had a number nine you know, in a long, long time. And that the U.S. needs that bite. You, you need a reference point, uh, you know, with bite up top. And we just haven't had it. You know, credit to Ricardo Pepe. Things went south at Augsburg. And then uh, managed to really right the ship as he's gotten at PSV and, and, and really gotten it right and finding his feet and what he does best. And um, it's, it's confident because so much of that is, you know, so much of a striker success is mental. And it's good to see him in a good place there. So, yeah, and, and Balogun's had some good success in Monaco as well. So, yeah, that, that is the number nine spot that it is up for grabs. It, it will be a matter of debate that you and I will probably be talking about a year from now. Um, but it's something that needs to be sorted. I, I don't think we can go into another World Cup like we did the last without really a legitimate threat as the number nine if we want to be seen as something that's just going to get beyond the group stage and, and maybe, you know, the round is 16. And obviously, next month, uh, the U.S. will be involved in the CONCACAF Nations League, but they'll be involved in the quarterfinals of it, awaiting their opponent from League A. And, of course, there will be two matches in goal aggregate to uh, qualify for the 2024 Copa America. And how excited are you to see the Copa America returning to the USA? But it's not going to be just a you know a celebration of the tournament itself it's a, it's going to be an actual tournament for the actual trophy 
of South America. I would love to see more, you know, uh, football in the Americas unified. So, yeah, it's nice. I think it's, what, the 50th edition or something around that. But, yeah, it would be nice to have it, you know, CONCACAF brought it to the fold and and, and up the quality of opposition in our our region, you know, playing against Columbia Ball opponents is nothing but a win-win. You know, it's almost a a throwback to the older days when the U.S. was invited, you know, to the Copa America and got a chance to play against the Colombians, Brazils, Argentinas, and, you know, even Paraguay and such, and Chile. So this is – it's going to be a fantastic opportunity. And, look, I'm going to be honest with you, the Nations League for me is a bit of a snore. I'm not going to lie. You know, it's basically, you know, an organized friendly tournament, and that's fine. It is what it is. But as far as the Copa America comes in, in 2024, yes, it's going to be fantastic. And I'd love to see more joint uh, efforts between CONCACAF and Colmenbal to, to join powers. I think it's it's a win for a business and marketing standpoint for the South American teams, and it's it's also a win for the North American teams to get a better quality and depth of competition. Well, Christian, any final thoughts before we uh, call it a, a night here on this uh, post-game show? Uh, all I can say, maybe U.S. went out three goals to two over Ghana. Pepe, Pepe on the board. That's 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 what I'm going out on on, on a branch on here, going out on a limb. Excuse me. That's okay. I don't mind that at all. That's pretty good admit, in my opinion yeah, as I'm well. I'm bad with metaphors. I apologize. <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. We'll see what happens on Tuesday night, though. So that should be a fun one. But once again, ladies and gentlemen, the United States uh, fell to Germany by a final of three goals to one over at Pratt & Whitney Stadium at Rentschler Field in East Hartford, Connecticut. And the next friendly for the U.S. once again will be this Tuesday night uh, over against Ghana uh, in Nashville at Geodis Park. Christian, as always, thank you for your time. I always appreciate it. And uh, talk to you again soon, my friend. Yeehaw! Thank you, Danny. Thank you. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening once again to the 4 Scenes Fire. American Soccer Show here. Once again, the post-match show, post-game shows, the USA once again falls to Germany by final of three goals to one. Have a good evening. Take care so long. And as always, enjoy your football. Thank you. Take care so long and bye-bye for now.